Welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Hey, Paul. It's uh, good to see you virtually again after having to put up with you in person for a week. <laughs> You're not the first person to tell me I'm much better virtual than, <laughs> than in person. <laughs> Yeah, likewise, buddy. It was great to catch up. It was wonderful. Obviously, you couldn't share much with anybody, but it was great. Had a celebration that week, so we won't divulge too much there. <laughs> I had um, Fabian in my guest room, and um, after knowing him for 10 years, turns out that he snores. Um, so I figured I'd share that with all my listeners because I had to put up with the Freud. <laughs> You've just now ruined Fabian from crashing in people's houses for life, right? <laughs> Un- uninvited. But yeah. um, how's things been with you? Well, obviously, we had MVP Summit two weeks ago. And as we're recording it this week, the Microsoft 365 conference has been on. You went there. I can see you're still in your home office. So were you playing along with Twitter and seeing what people yes, were up no, to? Yes, I did not go to Las Vegas, no. Having to catch up from a week out of the office. <laughs> Fair. So, um, and kind of relying on the conversations from that week. And then obviously in a, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to Dusseldorf. So it's it kind of squeeze in. So no, I, oh, yeah. so I didn't do, didn't do Vegas just because it was, um, you know, that have been too much time away though, but yeah, some interesting stuff coming through there. A little, I don't want to say I'm disappointed, but it's not a developer moment as, as Microsoft likes to say. So, mm-hmm. but you know what, there's, there's stuff being announced and the developer angle usually gets in there later, right? Once the, once the product gets out and hits the market, it'll be soon behind. At least I'm hoping. So that, that's good. Anything in there that you saw that, that caught your attention? Yeah, I, I think this was definitely more of a product moment for SharePoint OneDrive and Teams. The thing that I've been using the most, which has been the most like wow moment for me, obviously we're a large organization. We do a lot of communication and the graph by nature is we work with a lot of people across Microsoft. And so newsletters are one of the easiest ways to share what our team's working on and catch the eyes of other teams. Oh, hang on, we're doing something with that particular partner as well. And let's let's catch up. And to date, we've been doing that just by doing email and distribution lists. But we knew that SharePoint News was the right thing to go do because it looks prettier. And But our organization's so email heavy that people don't go to SharePoint sites. And even with the digest email that says, there's news from these five SharePoint sites, go check out the news. We could see that people weren't reading them, but you can actually now, or it's coming. We have it internally working and it's great. You can essentially share a SharePoint page as an email. Um, And so when you create the SharePoint news page, it'll like prevent you from using certain web sites that just wouldn't actually render in a mail client. And so you can make the page look really pretty. And then when you share, you share it, you do send as email and you can then send it to a DL. And then everyone who doesn't want to go to SharePoint that wants to just consume it all in an inbox can see it there. And, and so that feature has been amazing for us. And we've been getting much better engagement because one, they look prettier than what they can do and what you can do in an email. Yeah. Um, yeah. And two, it historically is sitting there in SharePoint and then discoverable for search for people who maybe are not on the DL. So the SharePoint pages and email feature for me was a real gem. Peach. How about you? I'm excited to see where the brand center goes. It's kind of buried in the post about the, mm. the SharePoint stuff, but the plan to make org assets get a little bit more sophisticated when it comes to 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 branding is good. 
And um, my my hope, of course, is that uh, you've heard me say this before, right? It, it's a struggle to figure out which controls to use where. So um, it, it, I, I'm guessing that as part of a, a branding and a, a UI refresh, there, there will it's a chance for the SharePoint team to catch up with how the Fluent design system has been progressing outside of SharePoint, right? Because I, I get that there's this whole legacy HTML structure that they've had forever. So um, they mentioned the Fluent design system. So I'm hopeful that that out comes in and, and just makes things easier for, for developers from that regard. Not that I can create pretty pages, although I guess we'll see what Copilot does for me. <laughs> right. But yeah, I mean, yeah, we're, we're kind of dancing around the issue, right? But there's, you know, I did scour, I did not see any M365 developer podcast Copilot, so I guess I still got a gig. <laughs> <laughs> You've not been replaced by a bot yet. <laughs> At least not yet, yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, so that, that's what caught my attention. Uh, interesting to see about that. Yeah. And then one other last thing, I mean, obviously this wasn't a developer moment. There was some news about like new versions of the toolkit and frameworks being released as in conjunction with it. But build is definitely the place where at the end of the May that that's going to come up. Um, and you can expect to see a lot more on Copilot at that event. But what was interesting in one of these posts, so there's five that kind of cover all the news from this week, was that one out of every three pages in SharePoint include an embedded part to a custom business process or application. So they're saying that essentially out of all of the SharePoint pages that are created, a third of those include something that's been custom built, um, which is actually... I. I don't know if I'd have guessed it was that high. Um, so it's pretty amazing um, that, you know, that is the case of SharePoint really truly being a platform still. And so, um, yeah, that was good to see that shared. I'd, I'd not even seen that stat internally. So I think it's great that we share that. And so, yeah, if you want to hear more about the developer story um, around this stuff, definitely build is where to plug in. I've seen all the sessions that are coming for it. Um, I've seen the outline for the keynote and it's some pretty cool stuff. So I would recommend as this is an M365 podcast, definitely carving out the second day to see uh, the M365 keynote of Rajesh. Um, there's a bunch of familiar faces you will see in that keynote and some new stuff that, you know, is really, really impressive to to be looking at from a developer side of the house. So I encourage you to invest time to at least check the keynote out, if not some of the breakout sessions that are going to be that week too. And that's that's a hybrid, right? So I can watch it with free, I think, right? There's no, I mean, registration, it costs you an email, but. It is, yeah. So there's a paid in-person event in Seattle. And then, um, yeah, there's a virtual, from the majority of the sessions you'll be able to um, see online as well. So the, obviously the keynotes are, and then there's a bunch of breakout sessions and bits and pieces. And all of the sessions, nearly all the sessions are now available in the, in the session builder if you go and register and start picking which ones you want to watch. Yeah, nice, yeah. nice. And if you're bored between now and the end of the month, go back. You mentioned, you know, one third of the pages are are developed to some backend system. And so if you're a developer creating those pieces to the backend system, you really should catch up with that, that virtual event that was a couple of weeks back that lets me put my code in Outlook or mm -hmm. Outlookoffice.com, which has a different name now, sorry, <laughs> in Teams, right? So again, if 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 your if your internal systems are being used by users who are bouncing around the the suite, take take your data where they are. So good stuff. Yeah, and actually at Build, there will be some additional announcements on top of those announcements from March of new places where you can integrate. Um, and I was just in a briefing yesterday, and I don't think some of this is going to be in Build, so I'll be careful what I share. But just imagine that the way we're thinking about things now is not just 
Teams development or SharePoint development or Outlook development. We're really thinking about things as in Microsoft 365 development. And so where you can extend the platform in two places like message extensions in Teams and Outlook, think about that message extensions working in more than one place and loop components being able to be extended in more than one experience, whether it's Teams, Outlook, SharePoint. And so there's a whole group in Microsoft right now with that lens. And so bubbling up a lot of the great work that each of the individual product groups are doing around their extensibility to think about it more cohesively is the overall platform. And there's some really, really cool stuff coming that I think this is just the groundwork. We're just bringing it all together, consolidating, coming up with one manifest and packaging and deployment and store. And then I think in the next six months, you'll really start to see this stuff accelerating quick, which is really exciting. Excellent. Looking forward to that. Cool. Well, um, this week we had one of the uh, the winners from the Hackathon come on to talk about the, the hack project that they um, published. And so we're going to get a few of those winners on in the next few months, um, you know, get some devs from the community, basically, rather than just talking internally to product managers and so forth. And so um, I hope you enjoy this. And if again, if you'd like to come on the show to talk about something you've built with the Microsoft 365 platform, me and Paul would love to, love to hear from you. So enjoy your week. And um, Paul, get back to work before you go to your next conference. All right. Yeah. See you next time. Okay. I'm here with Ahmad Mosfar today. Uh, thank you for joining me this morning or in your evening in uh, Dubai, right? Yeah. Thank you so much, Jeremy, for having me today. And, uh, and first off, congratulations for being the uh, the win- the all up winner of our um, hack together within uh, what was run at Microsoft with the Magic Note project. It's excellent. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, yeah, that was a very uh, exciting competition, let's say, to and a very good chance to basically discover and learn some new stuff and getting a project uh, all together, getting it pushed online. So in a good amount of time with a good amount of technologies. What motivated you to do the hackathon? Was it you just needed a new challenge or what's because I'm always intrigued when we post these things, what motivates people to kind of jump in and get going on this? That's right. It's actually the main thing to motivate me to to get started with the hackathon is that first of all, I have never done that before or joined any kind of challenges with like others when it comes to development. So usually this happens on the sports side only on my side. Um, so I decided to do that. This is the first thing. The second thing is that um, I actually get used to develop Windows apps a long time ago, but I have stopped doing this for like the last three years. And after the release of Windows 11, I said, okay, I want to start building apps again for Windows because, you know, Windows 11 looks so cool. But I also, I was honestly like a bit lazy. So then when this hackathon shows up, I, I have seen it and said, okay, that's that looks like it's a good opportunity to, um, first of all, building a Windows app. Second, get into the Microsoft 365 a bit deeper and see when integrating that with the AI, especially right now, you know, we are in the artificial intelligence hype in this period. So, yeah, uh, those were the two main motivations into getting started and participating with this. It sounds like you've been a Windows developer and a Microsoft 365 developer in the past. Can you talk a little bit about your journey career in in technology well it was um, it's a bit different uh, journey because i have started writing code especially and mainly for windows like in a very early age it was like about 10 or 11 something like that it was using the visual basic 6.0 
And that was, uh, yeah, back then when I, I had the BC in that time, I was like, I thought this is the only thing, the only way that you can do stuff. So I was just playing around, building calculators and the chat apps that depending on socket communication, you know, TCP and this kind of tutorials. And then when I discovered about C Sharp, that was like a turning point in life. So I started doing that. Uh, the way I learned it, it was just through books mainly, uh, especially the series that's called C Sharp Step by Step, launched by Microsoft. When I get started with that, I was mainly developing for Windows 4. And because I was like at school back then, so I don't have any kind of responsibility like to build business solutions and there is customers and you know users. So I can just do whatever I want. So that I took advantage of that very, very well into building crazy stuff. I always have been like kind of very going to the side of Microsoft a bit more than a normal customer or like enthusiastic developer because I was always thinking like, why do, especially in that age, that's not right now, like why people use Mac? So I want to bring whatever they are doing in there. Like, for example, the dock of the menu that you see at the bottom. So I was like 13 back then. I thought like, this is the, what attracts people to use Mac. So, okay, let's, let's bring that to Windows. So I started to work on such kind of project that was very fun. Then I got into business basically. And yeah, I started by automating the stuff I see around me. First, the studying plan and the to-do items at my high school. So all of that was inside the Windows uh, container and C-sharp only Windows form. Then I took an upgrade and get it to the WPF. So I have like a little bit more rich user experience with some animation, stuff like that. After that, I started the official uh, career basically. And it was as a Windows mainly developer to develop solutions. So the main tool I have to work on was like a utility that you can export Excel sheets, and put it into an SQL server database but with like tons of flexibility in choosing the table, the default values, the mapping and stuff like that. So it was Windows Form tool. And that was the last time I have written apps for Windows Form. After that, I, I moved to web and all of that still inside the Microsoft ecosystem and .NET especially. Then I moved, started ASP, MVC, and I've, I kept doing that for a while. And then I get the chance to use Azure and Microsoft 365. But at that time, things started to be much more interesting. And when I learned Azure, it was uh, building the first Azure function that was like, wow, something crazy and you can't do too much out of this. So yeah, uh, I, I got into this, most of this like building APIs or websites using MVC. Then in the mobile hype, I turned into mobile development using also Xamarin and .NET. So I'm assuming a lot of my listeners have been on this journey as well. Um, it sounds like a similar journey to me. Like I've always been in the Microsoft space and started in WinForms and moved through. With this project, before we get into what it actually is, what technology did you decide that you wanted to throw in the kit bag to make this thing really shine against other, other hack projects? Yeah, as I mentioned, the, the Windows from a client side, you know, this app has consists of an API and the client side. So for the client side, I, I wanted it to be a Windows app, uh, especially because uh, mainly to build something uh, beautiful for the Windows UI 
especially after the release of the new Windows SDK for Windows 11, that was something interesting. For the API, I just wanted to, um, we had to use a graph for the Microsoft graph hackathon, basically, so it's obvious. So it was, the, the, the trickiest part was to come up with an idea that, that that's cool and it's actually beneficial at the same time. So I, I searched a lot, but then I ended up like doing something for myself that I actually just planning uh, the day, adding to-do tasks, adding the events, the meetings, stuff like this. So I usually do that almost every day of the week, except the weekends. So I do that through through them my my phone. So I open the to-do items and add this kind of things, open the calendar and add the events in case there is any or the meetings uh, earlier because I also work as a trainer. So I have some students who usually have to organize some meetings with them. So then I said, if we can have AI to do that work. So in this case, we bring AI, we bring the Microsoft graph to satisfy the hackathon and I do windows for the client side. So this will be like a good uh, combination. And yeah, this is how it went. I will say if, if people are listening and they haven't seen the video, we'll put it in the show notes. It looks really cool. Like I think sometimes when devs do things, it can look pretty ugly and your one looks just like it's a full-blown product. So congrats on that. For the purpose of people who haven't watched the video, just explain what the app does on the left-hand side with the giant text box and what it does on the right-hand side with all the tasks that kind of output from that. Yeah, sure. And the name indicates actually it's called Magic Note. So basically because this note is like it's supposed to be a bit magical. So what's happening is when you open the app, you want to do the task, which is planning the tasks for the next day or planning your meetings, whatever. So... On the left-hand side, you can see the, the text box, or the which is the only input that you have to do with the app. And on the right-hand side, you have the output. So first, uh, you write all that you have in mind in your natural language, the way that you are thinking about them. Just through them in that, that text box, uh, you don't have any, let's say, limitations, or you don't have any um, constraints. Just through them, all that you have to do, just separate your sentences with a comma or a period or with a new line. This is all, and then just using your language. When you submit this note, basically using the AI, uh, the AI service trying to understand what's inside this. So what, what you are, what, what's your goal? What's the intent of this? Like, are you trying to, the, the main goal to understand and analyze the text is to be able to identify what is the type of this thing? Is it like a to-do task? Is it like a meeting? Is it like um, an event? Uh, what are the times based on your text? Because you don't have to type the time specifically using a specific format. You can say tomorrow afternoon, or you can say like at 9 p.m. Just this way because you are writing with your natural language. So yeah, the AI analyzes the full note. Then if there is a meeting and there are, you mentioned some names during like, I want to meet with uh, Joan and Sarah, for example. So what's happening is uh, the service communicates with the API, communicates with Microsoft Graph, to query your contacts to find if there are people with, with those names. And so it can fetch their emails in case there is any. Yeah, after the analyzing process finishes, on the right-hand side, you're going to see what the API has come up with for you. So you will see if actually it understood what you have uh, meant exactly, because you know, AI, there, there could be some chance for mistakes. And the second thing, if you wanna make like your final reviews, so you take a look, you make sure that the contacts of the meetings are correct. If they are not, you can add emails or stuff like this, or you can add more participants. You can um, uh, make edits to the title, or you can remove the full task if you just decided 
not to not to proceed with it. So yeah, once you're done, you can click uh, finish, and then the API will be responsible into going and talking to all the Microsoft Graph APIs, like for the calendars, for the mail settings, for the to-do tasks, and events to basically uh, add those outputs on your behalf to the required utility or the destination. That's really cool. And so from, I guess, going through the flow of the UI as a way of the technology talking about this, what artificial intelligence are you actually using here? Like, is there a particular model that you're using um, to kind of understand what conversation you're having with the, the app? Yeah, of course. I'm using the what's known for most of the for experienced developers. It's known as Azure Lewis Language Understanding uh, Service. But right now, it has turned on to be what it's called the Conversational Language Services. Right now, uh, it's available on Azure. Uh, the reason why I went with this, of course, you can use the Open AI uh, API that's booming at the moment. But Conversational Language Understanding Service actually provides you with a very good utility to train and label your your input. So the UI is very easy. You can I, I have trained for the full app for the sake of hackathon like for only 100 sentence. So it took me just two or three hours to to get the AI model up and running and test it for many scenarios. Like it's working good. Of course, not perfect, but it's easy to to make it reach that level. Yeah, I didn't realize they'd renamed Lewis, but that's. I mean, I guess it makes more sense to um, have something a little bit more intuitive to search for. What were some of the, the learning curves that you had with Lewis in using that? Because I've done it in the past for building demos for Build when it first came out. And back then it was quite complicated to get up and running with the API side of it. Was there any kind of tips or documentation or videos that were just like shoe-ins to help there? Actually, it was, uh, I haven't went into any tutorial or stuff like that. The new UI or the new portal of the conversational language service is super easy to get started and it's self-driven basically. Uh, you just define your intent, define your uh, the topics. There is some terms like this is time, this is person, there is stuff like that. And there is the general intent that this is to-do task, this is event, this is meeting or whatever you are testing your data for. And um, the, the UI is very simple. They improved it a lot with the new generation. And then once you finish, you can go to the training tab and um, it's also, you can, it's easy to choose between if you want to proceed with like a long, perfect training or just this short one. And when it comes to the deployment, it's also very easy. You choose your model and uh, the, the latest model that you have trained and just set your head public deploy and it will take like one minute and then you will get the link. So it became very easy, even if you have multiple deployments yeah, yeah the new generation is great oh wow so it has really improved then <laughs> with, with that in mind what how do you then take lewis conversational language understanding product and put that in the rest of your app does that that's running in your cloud and obviously if they're clicking submit on that text box of the conversation they've had of like i want to create this task i need to have this meeting i need to learn about this it sends it to that service. What do you get back from that service that then your Windows app uses? Yeah, so this service actually analyzes like a sentence by sentence. This is how I trained it. So what I do with that, I cut the knot into multiple sentences and then 
I send each sentence to the Lewis API. Of course, I'm just using the deployed model. I don't export it and import it natively into the API. So I just send an API request to the uh, language service of Azure, and then it retrieves back a JSON object that can consists of the of the intent and the terms inside with what's the type of this and what's the um, the predictability of how how the accuracy let's say and in addition to that if there is like any values so for example if you say 9 bm so basically this comes back as a term inside the full intent sentence and then this called the it shows you this is a date time and this is the format and it gives you the value as like 00 900.etc like in the in the ISO format so you can easily integrate that into your app and then once you've essentially got that back in your app that's when you're making decisions in a you know logic statements of whether that's going to go away and create a to do task or create a an event on your calendar or even a meeting on your calendar is that kind of how you've flown that through yeah, exactly. The process of uh, taking this decision is divided like 50-50 between the AI and between the API after it receives the response. Because the, the AI actually, when this the sentence analyzing result comes back, it tells you that this is an event, this is a to-do task. So you already have the decision, but you need to have some, let's say, cosmetics around it, especially if there is a meeting, because meeting will require fetching contacts and trying to populate the users ahead of time, uh, user emails and stuff like that for the people you have mentioned. So you're familiar with the graph, I'm assuming, from previous projects you've done. So you're using kind of the exchange endpoints on the graph and the to-do endpoints on the graph. Did you use the SDK to do this work or did you just in Windows call directly HTTP request stack? That's a good question. Actually, the, this hackathon was, that was one of the biggest outcomes for me out of this hackathon because until the moment of this, um, not only on my preview on my work, like on my own and demos like that, even at the work, we use graph a lot and we talk directly to the API using the HTTP client and sending the request, like, let's say in the manual way, but for the graph, for the hackathon, it was mandatory to be able to write uh, to you the SDK and they released a new version just before the hackathon in one day for that contains general improvements and stuff like that. So. It was a good opportunity going over the SDK and using it, discover using features like patching, for example, a Microsoft Graph. So doing that using the SDK is, is something uh, just amazing. So I get the chance to do that and it just worked perfectly. And then I guess for people that haven't done hackathons before, if you got stuck, were there people that you could, were you able to speak to people in the product group to help you? Or was there a benefit of being part of the hackathon in that sense? As I told you, this is my first hackathon experience. It was with Microsoft. Like this hackathon is managed by Microsoft. So for this kind of hackathons, um, the GitHub profile and the Hack Together GitHub profile and the README file contains all the information you need. And there was also inside the GitHub, there was like a communication community where you can uh, simply ask questions and you will get answers either from the Microsoft teams who are organizing this hackathon or even by uh, the community. Like people were asking and we were... Uh, answering each other questions. So that was good. But also the Microsoft team was very helpful on that side. That's really cool. I'm not much of a Windows developer. Um, I Most of my career has been on the web um, and a little bit of mobile. But I noticed that, you know, you use .NET MAUI and you, you said earlier on about using, you know, building this for Windows 11. I'm just now coming based on the screenshots that 
Was this intently for a duo device with the two screens? Because it seems like you have like a left-hand side with the, the box with the text box and the right-hand side is like the output of the to-dos and the events and the meetings. Like, was that kind of something you were trying to push as part of that design? Uh, yeah, so sorry, my, my GitHub repo is made it a little bit confusing. So basically for the Windows app itself, I used the WinUI 3.0 SDK. So it was purely for Windows. The, the view model that you can use for the mobile app has been like written in an abstracted way that they can be used exactly the same for Maui. I created the Maui project. You can find it on another branch. And the main goal for that, it just, I recently got a Surface Duo device and I was impressed by how using the two screens was like something revolutionary. The most important thing I like about that is that I opened the, the two screens, having the emails on the left-hand side and opening the email on the right-hand page. So you don't need to go... So I thought like this, this would be a cool thing to build my first app for, for Surface Duo in this way. And uh, yeah, this is what I pushed for. So it's not yet done because I had, I was a very busy after that actually, but because I'm writing a book also about technology and web development with .NET. So I just finished at the beginning of May yesterday. So right now I'd be back into this and getting this. Oh, wow, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. We'll have to put the link to the book in your the show notes if it's out in time. Yes, we will do that. I think it will be published during like mid-June or something. It's called Mastering Blazor Web Assembly. So it will be talking about web development, uh, develop single page applications with Blazor. So, so we go back to the Windows app. You mentioned WinUI. I think like most technologies in Microsoft, we go through waves of different platforms and where, where, where is the Windows development world at now? And it sounds like you've been doing it since VB6. So if I dabbled in WinForms in the past, like what, how would, and not touched it since then, what is WinUI and how would I get started? Yeah, actually Windows development, as you have said, it's going through like different waves and it's getting sometimes radically changed, especially since the launch of Windows 8, things wasn't stable at all. Throughout the long years, Windows Form was originally there since maybe like, I don't know, 93 or something. And it's still until the end will stay alive because hundred millions of dollars invested in projects and this cannot go away. But then with WPF and the introduction, the introducing of XAML, things was, was great. You can build very, very great Windows apps that looks modern, that's very customizable. The UI can leverage great graphics. Then when the Windows runtime comes in with Windows 8, then the UWP for Windows 10, those you have a lot of frameworks to choose from to end up being developing an app for, for Windows that runs natively on Windows. UWP was, from my own perspective, is, is very cool and stable. And that, that one is great. So then with the introducing of Windows 11, uh, the UI got like, uh, very big updates in terms of everything from the rounding corners to the shadows to the those amazing materials that you see when it comes to transparency that's called Mecca and Acrylic. So to be able to develop right now for Windows, you have many, many options, but UWP right now, I think it's the most stable for all kind of things because I, 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 I still think that WinUI is still not yet, even the documentation is not yet complete on the Windows I noticed some bugs while you're writing code for it, but it's it's very good. 
but UWB is like right now is still good and it can leverage like the Windows 11 SDK you get to get the most out of it. It's fun, but hopefully with um, what Microsoft called like a project reunion to bring all of those together in a single SDK will work out. So this dilemma ends. Yeah, eventually. We had um, Kevin on the show a long, long time ago talking about this when reunion first came out. So it's kind of interesting to see that evolution there on that. But uh, to, to your point that if you are coming from a Windows forum background and coming right now to Windows, it's something like 100% different. Nothing is the same, fully nothing is the same. Yeah, it's just a giant leap, right? Uh, yeah, it's it's kind of starting from scratch, but you know, they are still on Windows. That's the only thing that... With regards to the the client, where did you put the logic? Did you put the logic directly into the app or was that in the cloud as well? Like obviously Lewis, sorry, the conversational language service is up in the cloud, but did you put the rest of your logic in the cloud or did you put that locally in the app? And like, what were the decisions around that? Uh, yeah, of course, the logic cannot be directly on the app because of there is, it doesn't make sense to have because this kind of logic has to be updated from uh, like quickly and going through iterations. And there is that the logic of taking decisions is usually, you know, in modern apps, this kind of logic shouldn't be put directly in the client and then repeating it for mobile and also for web that will not work out. So, no, there is an API that's hosted right now on an Azure app service and it's it's on the free tier. That's why if you install the app from the releases on GitHub and you run it, you will wait like for a minute until it wakes up. So basically you can, it will handle the request. Oh, is that right? It's got a cold boot. Yeah, because for the sake of hackathon, it doesn't, has to be actually uh, run, always run, always on available. Uh, so yeah, there is an API and the API communicates with Lewis and with Graph and handles all of those kind of things while the Windows app just send the note and he gets the output and then he sent the full output with the modifications for them to get submit. So he knows nothing about what's going on. Okay. And then on the UI, were there any frameworks you used to make that look that good? Like, or is it that easy in WinUI to make it look that good? Because I was quite surprised at visually what that looked like. That's the good thing about using the Windows 11 SDK with WinUI. Everything that you see is just out of the box. I was all, myself was surprised with how 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 cool the cards looks like or the login page with that transparency when you have right. like the background of Windows. So that was looks great. So then I, I thought later after the hackathon, like, what if we have a native chat app that runs actually natively on, on Windows and leverage the full capabilities of the Windows UI? That would be nice. So then I created the demonstration you can find also in GitHub. We can put the link in the uh, in the notes of this show that demonstrates how a chat app can look like just out of the box. You don't need to use any framework, just use the native, even you don't need to create styles because when your eye already comes in with, with tons of styles for your controls, yeah. And if you were to take this thing to market, what would be some of the things you'd have to consider you know, would you put this in the, the Windows store and what kind of things would you have to consider to take it to that next step? I'm always interested in people's thought process around that. So, uh, yeah, for the Magic Note, um, there is actually many things needed to, to make this app fully available. First of all, uh, the login. Like right right now, 
after you log in, when you close the app, when you open it again, you need to log in uh, one more time. Every time you open the app, I'm not storing the tokens and the refresh tokens handling, all of this stuff. Uh, when it comes to the logic of the app, it is good, but I, because I tested it on my own, only with a friend, he has written two of his notes and he, it, it get like a good results, but I'm not sure if this is uh, enough. Like I think more training is needed for Lewis to, to handle many, um, written uh let's say because uh, i write the note the, my own way and it's it's working fine for it but i'm not sure if it's how it looks like for others the two other features i would like to have is making it um, scan a text and turn image into a text and use speech to text because most of the people write their diaries at the end of the day you know there is good amount of people that's doing that so basically if they are already doing that, why you need to rewrite that in the magic note? So why not you just scan it and it can understand your handwritten and get that note ready for you? A second, I need to support yeah more the current way to add a contact or or to manage the contacts is not very efficient. It goes to fetch your contacts and it will find the first one with like for example you mentioned the name Jeremy, so it will go to my graph contacts and to check if I have a contact, bring his email and his last name, but it brings the first one. But for example, if he finds multiple Jeremy, it should return us back to you. Like those are, I found three, you can pick one and, or pick the one that has an email out of all of those. Yeah. There is some little enhancement here and there that can make it. That, that's okay. Like the, that, the hack of thought judges didn't need to know about that one. We like let that slide through as a demo, yeah. <laughs> demo thing. I, actually, I, I mentioned funny. I mentioned the, that it's not about uh, trying to <laughs> to uh, overcome them in this <laughs> way, but uh, I think this is mentioned somewhere in the in the note. Or even when you test it, whenever you test it, it, it made it clear if you put a name that it will bring only the first name work that way but this kind of enhancement is needed uh, maybe there is some more features in the overview tab so the good thing is that you don't right now need to open the calendar open to do tasks open those tasks to enter your what you have in mind right you just put them there and then you review okay reviewing is easy because everything is that there but if you want to add um, attachments if you want to set some reminders for the do to tasks uh, the events you know the even the microsoft outlook has a bunch of properties that you can take advantage of, like location and many other things for the to-do the same. You can add attachments, description, or sub-items. So maybe supporting that in the output window will, will be great as giving the user more flexibility into. Yeah, like once they've saved and they can do just minor tweaks without going to to-do and outlook themselves. Yeah, exactly. That's really cool. I, I really, I think it's a great example of leveraging kind of the whole stack for a, a, a very common flow, right? Like it's something that we all do. And I really like the idea about like getting this all ready for the next day. Um, it's amazing how many emails I get where it's like, oh, I didn't realize we had that meeting tomorrow. And like having that kind of to-do flagging is is super useful to to make that work. Congratulations again on winning the hackathon. Um, I will make sure that all of the links to the GitHub repo and the videos are in the show notes for people to could take a look, look on out, outside. Um, if people wanted to follow along, are you on any social media or do you have a blog where they could look to see when you're, uh, to check out this new book that you've said you've got in, in, in motion? Uh, yes, of course. Uh, there is my website, ahmednuzafar.net. We can put the link there too, where, yeah, I'm reachable in there. And there is Twitter. I'm active on Twitter and LinkedIn too, the most. Awesome. Well, look, thank you, Ahmed, and I appreciate you joining me in the evening. 
congrats again and um, hopefully we'll see more amazing work coming out of you in the future thank you thank you again for having me and uh, yeah for this amazing talk it was fun thank you so much thanks for listening to the microsoft 365 developer podcast please follow us on twitter at m365 dev podcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks. 